welcome everybody. My name is Beth Fisher Yoshida and I'm a faculty member at Columbia University and co-chair of AC4, which is the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. And this is our monthly radio broadcast of um, leading edge stories about conflict resolution and peace building related to Columbia University and related to the work in general. And today I have with me somebody named John Zinser, who does several things, and the way I know John, one way I know John actually, is that he's an instructor in the program at Columbia, the Negotiation and Conflict Resolution Master's Program. And John teaches two classes, and one class is Fundamentals of Ombuds Practice, which is sort of an introductory class to the role of an ombuds. And then the second class is the Advanced Practicum in Ombuds and Organizational Change. And that goes a little bit more into the role of the ombuds in particular organizations, designing an ombuds role, doing the marketing, and so on. But I'll certainly let John talk more about that. He knows a lot more about that than I do. So, John, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Beth. It's great yes. to be here. Great. So if you can say a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the kind of work that you do, and maybe how you got involved in this role. Well, I really appreciate, again, the opportunity. I started in the area of actually of intercultural communications training. That's more than 20 years ago. Did several projects bridging U.S. and Japanese companies, and then got involved with some European firms as well. I became very interested in the notion of persuasion. How do you get somebody to do something when you don't necessarily have any power in the situation? That got me into negotiation. I did the Harvard negotiation program for a time, and I ended up con getting a master's degree from Antioch University, the first master's in the MACRA program, the Masters of Conflict Resolution that they had. And in that work, I discovered the role of the organizational ombuds through reading and research, became fascinated by it, and have been working in the field ever since. Now, I don't hold the typical role. I've been an ombuds. I was the ombudsman for the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality for about five years. That's a small part of the Department of Health and Human Services. And that role was remarkably successful. The program won the uh, Office of Personnel Management's President's Award for Outstanding Federal ADR Program in 2002. It was a real honor. And in doing that work, I realized, as much as I enjoy being in the chair, one of the interesting things about ombuds is they are wonderful conflict resolvers. They practice neutrality to such an extent that they almost can't advocate for themselves. And I became very excited about the opportunity to go out and spread the word. Uh, to advocate on behalf of organizational ombudsmen. Mm -hmm. So I am now a consultant. I build programs for organizations. I audit programs to help people understand what are they actually receiving by having this program in their institution. Uh, I speak widely, and I'm very fortunate to get to teach in your program yeah, and help great. to launch some other students into the field. That's great. That's great. So we've thrown the word around ombuds, and um, it has a history to it, and more recently it's becoming more of a buzzword in the field of conflict resolution, and we do pay attention to it in an organizational context. So if you can say a little bit more about what it is, so for the listeners who don't know right. what it is, and even those who think they have an idea yeah. about what it is. The word ombudsman comes to us from the Scandinavian languages, and it actually means agent, and because of one of the idiosyncrasies of how those languages work, the M-A-N on the end is not a gender specifier, but that's a classic problem that we have. An ombuds fundamentally is a designated, neutral, confidential resource within an institution. Now we have two major types. What we've talked about most so far and what I think we'll focus on is organizational ombuds. 
These are people who are specifically for either the employees, the students, those people who make up the community of any given institution. There is also a classical ombudsman who is usually a government official who's there to bridge the gap between a regulated community and the government or the citizenry and the government. And that's where we really see the concept take root in the early 1800s. The King of Sweden makes a first appointment looking for someone to help citizens who have issues with their government. Fundamentally, we're talking about someone who is there to give you a different approach, a hand in trying to think through a situation you might be facing and help you come up with a plan of how you could address it most effectively. So what are some typical ways that people are referred to ombuds or get referred, and how does the word get out if they're not out there advocating for themselves? It's one of the great challenges and one of the key activities for a successful ombuds is how do you make yourself known and make sure that the potential using population is aware without pushing too hard. You see a lot of the standardized approaches, a website, brochures, posters, things of that nature. Here we are at Columbia University where we've had a long-standing successful organizational ombuds program, just changing hands actually, the the leader uh, has, has just stepped out. But that's the kind of thing that you would see from a university. You might have orientations for arriving freshmen students. You might have orientations for new hires as well. For a place where the ombuds might step in and say, this is why I'm here, this is what we do, and this is how you should get in touch with us if you'd like to. Assuring that that awareness exists is critical. But what we hear time and time again, and actually I've been reading the current class's student papers on their interviews with practicing organizational ombuds, and almost to a singular person, the number one way is word of mouth. People who utilize the program, find a solution, work forward on something, tend to turn to their friends who are struggling and say, you know, I worked with the ombuds, or I've heard about the ombuds, you should give it a try. Word of mouth is really the way that it works best for the organizational ombuds. And when you think about the informality and you think about the conversational nature of how it works, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine it's a challenge as well because of the confidentiality. So the ombuds office can't really advertise or promote on cases that have been successful because it's confidential. But I imagine then even word of mouth doesn't always work because people won't necessarily disclose that they've been to the ombuds office. They may say they've heard about it. So then how do, uh, and what kinds of cases then do they manage if they do get referrals? I, I think that's a, that's a critical point. The confidentiality definitely creates a bit of a screen, a curtain, which makes it hard for the ombuds to step forward and say, this is what I've done. This is what I, we're capable of doing here. These are the benefits. That is a, a real challenge for it. But people come to the ombuds office with an incredible range of issues. That's one of its beauties by being informal. People come with what you might consider relatively simple, lower level types of issues, all the way through the worst things that occur in American institutions. Sexual harassment is is something that we certainly see happening there. Uh, Bad firings, all the different things that can happen at the worst end. But people also come just when they're confused when there's a question at hand and they're not sure how to go about answering it. An analogy we sometimes use for the organizational ombuds is a navigator. 
the individual with the issue remains in control of their issue. They remain, if you will, the skipper of the problem. The ombuds is simply there to offer them options and choices about how they might choose to navigate this given issue or problem. Sometimes in an institution, you may not know something and you might think, I'm supposed to know that. And if I go to my boss or if I go to HR or I go to somebody else, it might end up in my file. It might end up as a just a, a mark against me in someone's mind. The beauty of the confidentiality is that it allows for a completely safe, off-the-record conversation where you can explore that which you don't know. I know in a lot of your consulting work, you've worked in places as I have, where the key asset for anybody's advancement is their knowledge or their competency. You can't appear lacking in knowledge or non-competent too many times before people will start to wonder, should they be in that job? This gives you the place to go when you're not certain. There's really nice research out, including uh, some work from the Ethics Resource Center, which talks about when people are facing a compliance dilemma, there are three things that they're really concerned about. They're concerned about if what they saw actually is a right or wrong activity. They're concerned about what will happen to the individual that they may be naming in that. And they're very most concerned about their ongoing relationships. If they don't have those three pieces abundantly clearly in front of them, they won't come forward. The vast majority of people who see something wrong in an organization, whether it's a hospital or university or a for-profit corporation, struggle with whether to come forward to the informal processes. A lot of evidence that I'm hearing from various ombuds people is as much as 20 or 25 percent of the serious cases that get to the compliance mechanism come through the ombuds office. So the ombuds has this capacity to raise issues by offering people this safety. A really wonderful ombudsman from uh, UTC in Europe offers this analogy. If you don't have an ombuds, the leadership of your organization is flying with maybe 20% less information on the radar screen of their airplane. I don't want any organization that I'm involved with flying blind. So the Ombuds is a tool to help people get greater texture, greater clarity about the issues and challenges that might be in their institution. Mm, good. So then you're saying that uh, it's confidential and what the Ombuds does with a particular client is explore options and choices they have and maybe works out some scenarios and so on. So then uh, the ultimate decision about what gets done is in the hand of the client. And correct? I think that's really critical. That's a tremendously important difference between organizational ombuds and some of the functions that do exist in organizations that are similar. People often say, well, we have HR, or we have employee relations, or we have student counseling, or, or whatever it might be. And there certainly is overlap. There certainly is relationship there. But I think one of the key pieces, that core characteristic I mentioned before of informality, what that means is that power does reside with the person who has the issue. And they drive the process. The ombuds is there to reflect, to make sure that they're thinking about all the different potential options, how they might go about it, and help them sound out when they make a choice. I sometimes talk about this as having a deck of cards, and the ombuds will lay all the cards out and say, which, which card do you want to play next in this given hand that you're facing? It's up to the individual who's come to the ombuds to pick the card. And then the ombuds helps them think through 
how will it go when I play this card? If I write a letter to the person who's been yelling at me, what will that mean next week or at the next bonus review or at the end of the year or when you're ready to leave the organization? What will that mean if I choose to try to mediate? Because ombuds do mediate many uh, discussions or facilitate exchanges between parties who are having a hard time having a conversation. So the ombuds is there to promote healthy communicative environment. And so the ombuds might say, what will it mean to you if you invite your boss to this conversation? And I might support you in that. I might be there as a sort of a facilitator, a convener of that discussion. Do you think your boss will be able to go forward with this conversation? How will they see this later on? That's one of the key pieces of where the institution has to say, we support this behavior. We think this is in our best interest. This is going to help us be the institution, the organization, the hospital, the college, the company we want to be. So it sounds like you said uh, the ombuds plays a couple of different roles, and one of the roles you mentioned was mediator. The other thing I heard you say, which you didn't actually say in this terminology, I'll just sort of throw it out there, is conflict coach, which is something I do, and it sounds like something that ombuds do in the idea that they're coaching or walking through certain kinds of situations. You pick a card and you say, if you went this route, then what do you think would happen? What would the other person react and action be and all that? The first and f- the thing that ombuds do more than anything else in terms of casework is simply listen. That's the first step. Can't underestimate. You can't that. underestimate the power that that means. And it's remarkable the number of people who use ombuds programs who say, you know, I didn't get the outcome I thought I was pursuing, but this is the first time somebody really heard me that I really was listened to. That's a tremendous investment and benefit to almost any organization. But there are a number of other roles after listening that the ombuds might play. We've mentioned mediator, absolutely conflict coach, helping people think through what they might want to do, helping them even practice. I want to be able to say this to that person. So let's role play that. Let's do that. We also see, though, as other roles that the ombuds can fulfill, a shuttle diplomat. They might move between individuals. They might move between even parts of the organization. We see a lot of educational activity out of the ombuds office. Some of the problems that arise will suggest, you know, this part of the company might be a little short on understanding about civility, or they may have real problems listening to each other. Ombuds is a tremendously quick response. Rather than having to go through a long-term process to develop what training do we need and how will we get it, it can be fired by that issue and put into people's hands much more quickly. Mm -hmm. Ombuds play a lot of different roles in their effort to bring resolution to situations. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is really fascinating. I just want to mention once again to listeners who've just joined us that this is a radio program of stories from the leading edge of conflict resolution sponsored by the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at Columbia University, also known as AC4. I'm Beth Fisher Yoshida, faculty here at Columbia University, and with me today is John Zinser, who is a consultant who works with creating ombuds programs for different organizations and also teaches in our Master of Negotiation and Conflict Resolution here at the university. We've been talking about the role of the ombuds, and it sounds like by the time somebody comes to an ombuds, something's already happened. There's confusion or there's a conflict or, or worse. And I'm wondering what else can be done and maybe that ombuds do in a way that might be preventive. For example, are there any trainings that take place or other things? I think that's a key element of the value that ombuds can return to institutions. 
one of the things because of this unique perspective that they have given these special powers if you will by the the, the authorizing environment of the institution being allowed to be confidential independent neutral informal creates a point of view that's different than everybody else i've heard some people discuss it as the ombud should be the only person without an agenda in the organization and as people come forward and raise issues talk to the ombuds they have this ability to recognize trends things that are going on they also have this early warning capacity uh, and famous example of this years and years ago remember when the whole anita hill Mm -hmm. situation took place and the concept of sexual harassment sort of broke across the nation that was the moment when many many more people became aware of it ombuds had been hearing about it before that for a few years it was something that was being discussed in that community because they hear things first due to the safety due to the confidentiality what they can do is anonymously take that information in an aggregate form back to the leadership, the president of the university, the CEO of the company, whoever it might be, and help them think through, this is coming, or this is actually already happening in your organization, and you really need to try to get ahead of this. So there's both a reactive, but then it turns into a proactive response that the ombuds can lead to. A lot of people think that the ombuds is only reactive, only sort of being the button of the ombuds being pushed when someone comes in the door. But I think those practitioners who are really good at their job are always looking at the opportunity to get ahead and help the institution advance. That's one of the contributions that ombuds can really make. Mm. So as you're mentioning that, I remember that in my own training as a mediator, for example, that uh, there is, it is confidentiality that is one of the principles. However, that uh, there are certain situations in which you have to break the confidentiality. Yes. So I hear you saying that. So one advantage is that ombuds can aggregate information, and to me it kind of reminds me of like a class action suit. It's <laughs> like making some kind of policy for the greater good. Yeah for a larger group of people, but there are situations in which individuals need to be protected. And um, I'm thinking about abusive situations mm -hmm. and a particular harassment situations. So in what situations, yeah. if any, are there when they have to break their confidentiality? The, the fundamental approach to that is an imminent risk of serious physical harm. That's the first piece that we look at. Uh, and usually an ombuds will open their meeting with someone coming to them and talk for just a moment about what is an ombuds and what does it mean and how do I work? And almost all of them will, in their opening statement, include, I am confidential. There are limits to confidentiality, and here they are. And the big one is put as an imminent risk of serious physical harm. If someone is speaking about an act of violence against another person, uh, talking about I've got a gun and I'm going to go after that person, or I've got a bomb in the car, that's not a moment when the confidentiality can be maintained. Now, it's up to the ombuds to make a reasonable judgment. Is this credible? Is this talk? And it has to be acted on in, in those situations. So you have to tell the person using you, hey, I'm confidential, but here are the one or two limits. Certain states also um, create certain laws that actually do affect all people, all people who provide any kind of services. For example, uh, they might say if you hear of anything to do with child abuse, you can't keep that confidential. You have to find a way to report that. So those are some of the ways that there is a limit to the confidentiality. But by comparison to most of the other parts of the organization, the confidentiality of the ombuds is significantly greater 
in scope and in control than other places that can offer a limited confidentiality. Mm -hmm. And then um, how do, uh, are there ways to measure the impact, the effectiveness? Because here we have the confidentiality, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You have the confidentiality, but how do you measure to support the fact that it is an important piece of uh, work in an organization. This may be the crux issue right now for the organizational ombuds community. We live in an age of limited resourcing. It doesn't matter whether you work at Columbia University or whether you work at the United Nations where there's an ombuds program or you work at a brand name company like American Express where there's an ombuds program. Everybody's trying to be careful and everybody needs to know what does this do? <laughs> and is it doing something for us? Now, for a long time, ombuds have been able to talk about a generalized feeling of what they might be doing on behalf of the organization. I'm one of the voices that thinks we should be doing a slightly more particular job of describing the contribution and maybe even exactly what it's worth to the institution. And there are ways to do it. It is a challenge. Different organizations go to different levels. Most organizations do some kind of user surveying. Did, was this worthwhile? How did this help you? What would have happened if you hadn't had the availability of the ombuds? Which lets you paint a generalized picture of what we're getting today that we wouldn't have gotten without this program. It is possible to drill down a little more closely and look at related parts of the organization and what's happened. We have certain organizations, uh, years and years ago, did an audit of the Ombuds program for Shell Oil, and we saw a dramatic reduction in the number of employee-filed lawsuits against the organization. They went from averaging close to 20 a year down to under three a year. And when you know what, an <laughs> what a lawsuit can cost, and I did some research relatively recently for a different client, we're looking at, for a single party employee dispute, something in the vicinity of $360,000 per claim. And that doesn't even count taking it through to court. That's just managing the piece. That may not include a settlement. That may not include a judgment. That's a kind of cost that a lot of people would like to be proactive about and get in front of. And that's one of the things that we think we can demonstrate ombuds do fairly regularly. Now, if you mentioned the word class action lawsuit, those can go into the millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars very quickly. And they seem like exactly the kind of piece where if we can be early in the discussion, if we can get to people when things haven't hardened into those difficult positions of you've injured me and now I'm angry and no, I'm not listening anymore and I'm not talking anymore. I'm going to try to hurt you back. I've got my attorney and now we've got these things going. The ombuds is there at the earliest possible moment. I think two key points about the difference between ombuds and an external mediator. The ombuds being a piece of the institution is so much closer to that moment of conflict that you hope that the people would go to it sooner, which gives you more options and choices to try to refine it. And because the ombuds is part of the culture, understands the culture, they should be able to reflect it back to the institution in a safe manner, again, anonymized, aggregated, so that the institution can keep that situation from occurring again. When you go to an external mediator, you're a little further down the road. Positions likely have hardened a little bit, and it's very tricky for that external mediator to provide meaningful, timely feedback to the leadership of any given institution so that they can make useful changes. Ombuds make a lot of recommendations. 
They don't have the power to make something happen in the organization, but they do have the power of what they see and persuasion and the ability to turn to leadership and say, what about this? I think you'd want to avoid that in the future. What would you think about trying? This is a suggestion. Here's another suggestion. So ombuds are consistently putting information back into the system for the system to respond to and try to stop the problem from happening again. So something we haven't mentioned, but I know from my own experience in working to address organizational conflict is another cost, which is health. And mm. I think that uh, mental health, physical health, sick leave, missing work, low productivity, all of that is a result of conflict in the workplace as well. And I would imagine from what you're describing that the opportunity for an employee to go and, or management to go and actually talk to somebody in a confidential manner must really um, help them feel better I think about their work. What you just said at the end, I want to pick up on first. A lot of people think, oh, the ombuds is just there for perhaps the lower rungs of any given institution to help provide some voice to them and help them feel better about things. That's certainly something ombuds do. But what we see again and again on those organizations that we've been tracking, usage is actually slightly above the median position in the organization. Higher level people use this as well. To your bigger point, though, you're absolutely right. I, d I don't think we've done enough to demonstrate that ombuds make a positive, di positive difference in mental health, make a positive difference in how people feel. We certainly see aggregate change. The organization I was with, the Agency from Hel for Healthcare Research and Quality, they used something in HHS called the Human Resources Management Index, and they tracked year in and year out where each of the different agencies were. Basically, it's a workplace satisfaction survey. As soon as we put the ombuds in at AHRQ, their satisfaction jumped exponentially. They actually went from last to first, mm -hmm. and they stayed in first for the number of years that we kept the ombuds program open there. I think that's a critical indicator that it made the workplace better for those people, and they felt it wasn't the only thing. Clearly, other elements were going on, but I think that's a key demonstrative that it does create a better atmosphere. It can lead to increased trust. It certainly can give people the opportunity to, even though they know there's still gonna be problems, at least now I have a way to go about that problem that makes me feel comfortable, makes me feel safe. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, being part of a wellness program. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, sometimes you have to make the distinction ombuds from EAP. And some of the ways I will sometimes help people with that Maybe is you should say what EAP yeah is, EAP yeah. employee assistance programs, which exist in a lot of employee situations. There are employers who provide it, which really is geared towards if the mental health side of the picture. Very helpful with depression. Very helpful with addiction kinds of. That's what they're there to address. The ombuds, on the other hand, might be seen as dealing with more of those external situations. If you're in a conflict and you're having a mental difficulty, it, it's leading to they interrelate. And if the EAP people can help you deal with what's going on inside and the ombuds can help you deal with what's going on outside and with your relation with other people or your relation to the institution, that's the best chance to have a healthy working relationship. If you take care of one but not the other, I have a feeling the other thing is going to redevelop. If you haven't solved the conflict, you might get depressed again. If you haven't dealt with the depression, I'm going to guess you're going to be in conflict again. They work closely and in tandem in certain organizations, but they work in different arenas of a whole person. 
Great. So you've really uh, described the role in a way that, yes, faces its challenges, but definitely highlights the merits. So for those listeners who you sparked an interest in to say, hmm, I think I'd like to explore this further, what are some professional organizations, mm -hmm. some educational opportunities? Like, what can people do? Well, to let me speak prepared? to this in two, two places. If, if you're a Columbia student or Columbia staff member and you happen to be listening to this, you have access to a very fine ombuds program. If you're facing a problem, you're facing a challenge. It might be a place you want to contact. If you're listening to this as a citizen of New York, the public advocate in New York is basically a classical ombudsman. If you're having a problem in your borough or in your, with, with your political, that's somebody you can turn to. Now, if you're a student who's looking to learn a little bit more, if you're someone who's thinking, gosh, I'd like to find out more about this potential profession, there are a couple of places I think you can look. The International Ombudsman Association, and if you Google that, you get right to their website, is a, a private association there to help ombuds people develop their skills help them be qualified they run a certification program so that's one good place that you can look uh, there's something called the ombuds blog which is a wonderful source of information about what different organizations are doing in the field uh, Tom Kasakowski, who runs that blog keeps a lovely list of all the places that are doing this broken out by sector so there are for-profit corporations and their NGOs are listed in universities and uh, colleges and you might be sort of surprised there are hundreds of ombuds programs in universities and colleges across the nation uh, and more around the rest of the globe. So these are two good places to get some early information. That's great. It's been really informative, John. Is there anything you'd like to add before we bring this to Well, I'd say thank you again. It's just, I hope it comes through. This is, to me, one of the most exciting possible things in the professional world. And when we turn to each other and try to find ways to help each other, I just don't think there's any question. We're creating a better organization. We're creating a better institution, which means we're creating a better world. I do this work hoping to be able to contribute something to that. That's uh, part of the reason why I enjoy teaching here so very much. And I really appreciate this opportunity, and I'd love to talk with anybody else about it at any point. I never turn down the chance to talk about organizational ombudsing. That's great. I think people definitely can hear your passion and commitment to the field. Okay, Thanks. thank you very much. Thanks so much, Beth.